0: Hello, everybody. I'm here at GigaFast in Xijer, and I am meeting Jay Chung, who is the CEO of GigaFast, amongst other things, and also uh, Julia Huang. Yeah. She is in charge of business development, and so it's really great to come over here. It's very close to my Taitoma office, one of my jobs, and it's great just to come over and see how you guys are doing. So, Jay, how are you doing today? Uh, doing well. I mean, obviously, uh,
1: to give a little bit of background on GigaFast. We are a uh, manufacturer. Uh, our f- emphasis is on primarily two different areas one is uh, power line networking, and the other is uh, vehicle telematics.
0: I see that. Now, for the listeners out there, what is power line? What is power PLC, as it's yeah. known by? So, I think to
1: simplify it the easiest way to describe plc would be uh we we take something similar to a wi-fi signal and we send it over the power lines instead of over the air hmm. now it's not it's not a really new technology uh but we've a, we've been able to ha- uh, achieve uh, very good results as far as throughput and the nice thing about sending it over the power lines is that you're not trying to penetrate walls you're ending up sending the signal through the electrical wires which go into the walls Hmm. So you can get much better coverage in a home over power line than you could over Wi-Fi.
0: So you don't need to install wires. You're using the existing power lines in a house. Correct. Interesting. I don't know that I've ever used any devices that use this technology. What kind of things would you connect to a PLC?
1: Um, you would connect all the standard things that you would uh, to to wireless. Uh, I think uh, the wireless market has really... Exploded mainly because of mobility devices. Most people use laptops now, cell phones Mm -hmm. now, and that's why Wi-Fi has become the de facto standard for connectivity. But then when it comes to PLC devices, we've kind of pivoted less in the retail space and more into uh, industrial-based products. For example, smart grid products, things like that.
0: Oh, okay. So smart grid. So Do you work with power companies or... Uh, I would say we build product
1: for system integrators that work with power companies.
0: Ah. I would think even home builders or office builders. To a degree. I don't know. You don't have to, right? Because it's using PLC. It's using the existing wiring.
1: Correct. Correct. That's pretty
0: cool. And so then now you've got some, you know, that was like 2001. You guys were getting into that. Yes. And then 2015, I'm looking at your slides here, Mm -hmm. the industrial applications
1: yes so we started moving from just pure retail power line product like consumer retail based product into uh, more industrial based product like i said like i said the uh smart grid similar to smart grid products um and then we also were moving slowly into uh kind of automotive telematics based products products that are based off arm processors hmm. that required waterproofing uh you know um temperature resistance, things like that.
0: Yeah. So why ARM? Why ARM?
1: Well, I think we were one of the earliest, one of the, one of the earlier companies in Taiwan to try to use ARM as a platform for telematics. Hmm. Uh, the reason for that is the platform's flexibility. Um, the, 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 the default bill of materials is a little bit higher, but you get to save a lot of time in development. And I think that's, uh, a lot of companies don't look at development time as cost. Okay, but uh, when, when you look at, for example, if you wanted to deploy two different types of solutions for, let's say, the telematics market, and very simply, you just want to uh, take data from a vehicle and send it to the cloud. One way to do it is to use an integrated microprocessor. Mm-hmm. And this requires some kind of programming over some kind of customized OS that the chipset vendor has supplied to you. Hmm. And then when you look at the development time on the software end for that type of solution, it would, be, it, it would probably be take, let's say, a year to get the product up and running after the hardware is finished. But when you develop on a platform such as ARM, you can run operating systems such as Linux or Android. And when you have that type of flexibility, um, what that gives you is you have a larger pool of programmers you can pull from. Hmm. And that base operating system is a lot more flexible and allows you to do more. So basically it takes your one year of software development time and shrinks it down to three months.
0: Wow, that's amazing. It's different than what I remember, but my, you know, I'm dated. The last time I worked with ARM was back at Texas Instruments and DLP. Mm, okay. You know, we were developing a chipset, you know, using ARM processor. Okay. And then we were, you know, actually making our own chipset, but it had an ARM core. Okay. Did, um, do you guys make your own chipset, or are you using something off the shelf?
1: No, so we, we, we yeah the chipsets the chipsets we use are off the shelf.
0: Yeah, that's yes. like three months. You know, yeah. <laughs> It has to be right. That's not something that you do. Yeah, you know, there's reasons to do that. And, and uh, but yeah, it's a great platform, and it's I love their debug interfaces. Mm-hmm. You know, you can really know what you're doing and and save a lot of time if you've got some good software engineers.
1: Exactly, exactly. And then um, what we've been able to do is. We, we, what we do is we take a customer's kind of requirements and we try to translate it into a piece of hardware that would suit their, their needs. Hmm. Right? So the customers that come to us, are, we have various degree of uh, customers. Some, they already know exactly what they want. They send us the hardware specifications, uh, temperature specifications, things like that. And then we just have to reply an RFP. So that's one direction. We also have customers that don't know what they want. Hmm. Uh, we have customers that come to us and say, "Hey, we we're interested in doing. uh, uh, We need a device that can measure vibrations off of something, uh-huh. right? And then we go, okay, well, what is the price range you're looking for as far as the type of product you're building? And then we can spec out the hardware. What makes GigaFast a little bit unique is the fact that we're still a very specialized hardware company. So our goal is to build the best hardware possible, and." We found that as kind of a, there's a benefit with working with someone like us, and that is a lot of the companies out there today are software-based companies. So the value add our customer has is mainly their software, right? And they, they have uh, either custom ways of doing it, uh, doing things, uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning programs that want to run on certain hardware, but they feel limited by... The hardware specifications that are available on the market. They Mm. need something more customized, specialized, or or even lower cost. And then they would come to us and spec out a hardware that would work for them.
0: Okay, so most of your customers are using um, the everything is customized for them somewhat. Yes, you know you've got the technology and the know how. They know what they want to do. Some of them are very specific and they know exactly what they to do. Mm -hmm. And others need some help in order to connect, bridge that gap between what they want to do, and how to do it. Yeah, that's right. Okay. All right. Well, that gives me a better idea about uh, GigaFast mm-hmm. offerings. Julia, how long have you been with GigaFast? Uh, only one year. Only one year. Yeah. yeah. As I met uh, uh, Julia and one of your colleagues, Michelle, uh, Michelle mm-hmm. uh, about a month ago. You guys, they came over. We're just across the street. If people could see this view, it's amazing. The Just across the street, in these mega complexes of tech companies, and, and you and Michelle came over and gave a presentation about GigaFast. Yes. Yeah. And so we've made that connection. We have a, a common friend uh-huh. with uh, Dylan. Oh, me and my friend. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Dylan uh, from the Titoma office. Yeah. You know, made that connection. So that was nice because <laughs> I think some of these solutions that you guys have put together could be used in many types of applications out there. So, you know, we'll definitely keep that going and. So, um, so Jay, when I looked you up on LinkedIn and that's where I seem to live these days, I Mm -hmm. spend a lot of time on LinkedIn. That's where my friends are. And you have about, I'm counting one, two, three, four, five positions that I know about, you know, there's probably more, right. That i am not on there. Uh, Yes. (laughs) And so you are on the board at the Taipei American school.
1: Uh, Yes. uh, This year I'm actually the board chair of Taipei American school.
0: Wow. I have some friends over there, you know, um, I don't know what position, but Raúl, who owns uh, Crafted in uh, Maggi Square, mm. his wife has been working at a Taipei a American School for quite some time. Okay, and it's it's a great school. I mean, a lot of people that come out of there are, are really have just you know speak like Americans. You know, you really I, have that international view.
1: I think it has the uh, balance of both worlds. You have a very strong American education, and then you have uh, students with uh, an Asian background who are very motivated to learn.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's a great, a great place. Did you go there yourself? What is your connection prior to being a board member? I was an alum of Taipei American school. Oh, okay.
1: Okay. So I did go there for uh, a large part of my undergraduate education. Uh, coming back to Taiwan after all these years and having to run GigaFast and everything uh, we decided to start our family here mm. And one of the conditions to try to start the family here is that my daughter and my son are able to go to type American school for an American style education. I feel that it, it's, a, it's a broader form of education. A lot of things have changed about the school, about mm-hmm. education in general. Right. Uh, I, kids don't learn math the same way. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but they don't learn math the way we used to learn math, yes. right? They don't learn reading the same way. They don't learn writing the same way.
0: Right? Yeah,
1: uh, when when I first learned writing, it was, you know, vocabulary memorization, spelling from day one was already important, things like that. But uh, now when kids write, they're encouraged to write whatever they're thinking. Okay. It doesn't matter if you spelled it wrong.
0: Oh, well, that's interesting. <laughs> so the,
1: the, the, they're, they're, they're really breaking it down to the context of communication, right? You're okay. teaching kids to communicate. And then you're slowly correcting their spelling and things like that as they go along.
0: Okay. So it's a different methodology, but... You know, I think things like creativity and expression yeah. are being valued highly, and it is important. When you think about it, you know, exactly. I mean, the new ideas, creative ideas. If we don't have that, we don't have new things coming.
1: Oh, I, I think it's I think it's great to be a a child in today's modern day education system because it really promotes the uh, the love of learning. Side of things.
0: And do you have, how many kids do you have?
1: So I have two. Two. So my daughter loves going to school every day, yeah. which is something I used to loathe.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then my, my my son's still still really young. So he's he's okay. getting there. <laughs> so
0: soon he'll be over there and getting into it. So yes. You know, next on the list was Wemo. Yes. You know, so for people outside of Taiwan, Wemo is a, a scooter sharing service where I'm walking down the street and I can see it. And uh, I can use it. Yes, that's you know? correct. So w- what is your part with Wemo? Okay, so I, am,
1: I, I hold the position of a chief technology officer at Wemo. Uh, I already have a business I have to run, so I don't need a second business to run. But uh, uh, Wemo was started by actually a group of TAS alums. I didn't know that. Yeah, and they they asked me to join because they needed someone with a technology background mm-hmm. uh, to to implement the idea. And the original idea was very simple: hmm. place scooters, and these are these are motorcycle st- style scooters. Just mm-hmm. in case people right. don't understand, but right. Um, so we basically place these motorcycles everywhere in the city in public parking spaces, and then when you need a form of transportation, you can use your app find the motorcycle click a button, rent it, and then operate the vehicle as using your mo- m- mobile phone as a key. And then you can just ride it wherever you need to go and then return it, and then you just walk away. And what we have is micromobility, microtransactions. Um, and that was eight years ago. So now mm. WeMo today does about you know 25,000 rides a day.
0: 25,000, you know, and it, but I guess that's not many when you consider there's probably 9 million of us in Taipei.
1: It's still a very small fraction of the yeah. number of people that ride motorcycles. Okay. Yeah. So when you look at the Taipei market, just the Taipei market alone, you can add up all the people that take the public bus, hmm. uh, the public uh, bicycle system, hmm. and the rapid transit system. So that's like the subway. If you can add all those people up, and it would still be less than the number of people that ride motorcycles as a primary form of transportation. Which means all that government money that went into public transportation <laughs> still isn't serving the majority of the public.
0: Oh, and At- I, I do use all of the above. That's oh, yeah. one thing I like about Taiwan and Taipei especially is I just pick up Google and I say, which way do I want to go? It might be a Wemo. I've used mm-hmm. it. It's oh. good. It worked very well for me. I have Taiwanese driver's license, of course. And so I've got a car, scooter. But I've been places where I thought, well, I just want to go over there and it's not so convenient on public transportation. Oh, yeah. I could just pick that and go and it worked very well. Um, yeah. So it's all the above, you know, all of us are going everywhere and scooters are everywhere still. That's something that's always going to be here. We may transition more to electric scooters. That's starting to happen. Yes. But we're still going to have the gas-powered for some time.
1: And what WeMo offers is electric scooters. So at the same time, we're providing a new shared form of transportation. We're trying to decrease the number of scooters on the road, Mm -hmm. right? So a lot of people used to have to buy scooters. Now you don't need to buy one. You can always just rent one when you need. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, and then with the with you're basically electrifying transportation without actually having to sell someone an electric vehicle.
0: Oh, I have to ask now. Electric vehicles have to be charged. So when how do you maintain so many? How many scooters are there parked in Taipei?
1: So I think in Taipei, we have uh, a little over 4,000 scooters. Wow. Um, <laughs> what, we, what, what makes Wemo unique is Wemo is an operator. It's, we, we don't manufacture scooters, mm. but we do build out the hardware and software that's necessary to operate a shared fleet of vehicles. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we built up basically the system that we're running today from the ground up, zero, you know. And it's very rewarding to see vehicles used this much. What we do is, uh, sorry, to, to answer your question, mm-hmm. what we do is we send people out and replace the batteries. Okay. So there is that system that needs to be designed on the back end kind of assigns our service personnel to go out and replace batteries. Yeah, And
0: I picked, if I recall, I picked one that was well-charged, mm-hmm. you know, on mm-hmm. the app I can tell, Yes. you know, that one has a good charger. That one, maybe, maybe that one is going to get the battery placed. And I'm sure that's how the drivers know which, where to go and try and capture as many at one point.
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So Okay. Uh, what's nice about Wemo is because we don't build the scooter, we don't really build out the infrastructure required to charge we focus on charging our, our charging infrastructure mm-hmm. internal to webo and we send people out to replace the batteries. Right? So.
0: Oh, wow. 4,000 type. It's hard to imagine. And then I noticed you've got some photography work out there. You, and I, I can tell by your office, the, you know, the aesthetics are quite nice and Thank that you. you have an eye for how things should look.
1: Uh, so, yeah. So I worked with my wife uh, at kacha designs. That's her company. Oh, okay. uh, so, so, um, I have a a little bit of 2d design background. Uh, photography has always been a very, very deep, like something I've been very, very interested in since fifth grade.
0: Mm.
1: Okay. So my first single lens reflex camera was in fifth grade and I've kind of honed my skills on film, moved that over to digital. And then one day someone asked me, Hey, why don't, why don't you shoot some photos for me, for my company? And then I ended up shooting a lot of, uh, uh, photos for a lot of the hotel chains in taiwan uh a lot of the uh, some restaurants including five star restaurants in taiwan um i don't do as many people photography but my but that's not something i shy away from so
0: okay yeah interesting and it's just it's just all over it looks you know and of course gigafast here and your consulting company as well and uh it just looks like you just want to do everything (laughs) And I get that, you know, it's, and that was something we were talking about before we started recording was that I wonder why people feel like they have to be limited to one thing, Mm -hmm. one job, when you can really do lots of different things. Of course, you have to focus on some things at certain times, but really don't have to stay with one thing.
1: Absolutely. And I, I definitely feel that the jobs, the different jobs I hold help me make better judgments in the other related jobs right so for example at type american school we have uh, professional board training to understand what it means to be a board what how a proper board is supposed to operate how you properly plan out uh school finances things like that and that's not something you usually get outside right you don't you don't run your own company and say i'm gonna hire someone to come in and teach me how to do finances Right. So, um, so, so that brings a very unique kind of experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wemo is the first service-based company that I've, that I've, that I've worked on. Okay. Most companies that I've worked on before, Gigafast, things like that are very product-based, mm-hmm. right? I understand. Sorry. The photography thing is kind of service-based, but it's only me. But I mean, Wemo is more of an all-encompassing. This is sure. a service we it's want a, yeah, to it's sell like to the an public. Infrastructure. Right? And, um, it, it it was an interesting challenge because, a service-based company works very different from a product-based company. Your PR cycles, what you're trying to push to com- customers, what customers care about. right? Very, very different than um, um, what a product-based company is, is focusing on.
0: That is absolutely true. So that's neat. That's a neat uh, experience level. So if someone were to come to GigaFast and they're looking to develop a product, mm-hmm. that there's a lot of different views absolutely. and experience across yeah. from service to product.
1: And, and one of, the, one of the benefits of coming to GigaFast is that, uh, when it comes to product development, I try to work with the customer to build a successful product. So this isn't something where you just come to us and we're just a manufacturer. We just take your specs, throw out some product. We do want our customers to be, to be successful. And to do that, I found that, you know, discussion, sharing experiences, uh, especially from different realms. Uh, uh, we are moving into the automotive market at gigafast. And, Mm -hmm. um, one of the experiences that isn't in my LinkedIn is I actually started a, uh, partnered with a designer and we did, uh, car modify car modifications, Mm. kind of like the pimp my ride sort of market.
0: I knew there had to be more than what I saw on LinkedIn. (laughs) I knew it,
1: (laughs) but, uh, but it was before the whole, Pimp my ride and TV yeah. chain, like the whole Fast and the Furious thing. We were we kind of predated that just a little bit, and um, it was a very unique experience for me because it was a smaller business. It was it was much more hands on. Uh, we worked with companies like Nissan. We worked with Toyota. Uh, hmm. We provided body kits uh, that were very unique. And our, our goal was to do vehicle designs, like exterior designs mm. that were modified from, let's say, like a Nissan 350Z, uh, Toyota Supra, those sort of cars. And we wanted to make it cover car quality, right? We wanted to build kits that would make cars make covers. And on top of that, to have those cars be able to be raced on in actual track events. Okay. So we wanted to cover the, the, both bases. It sounds uh,
0: like a very niche group of people that are interested in this right
1: you'd be surprised la is a very large market for this type of niche la los angeles and florida okay but um it it, it was a unique insight into the entire automotive market and i was always very interested in 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 auto in cars and internal combustion engines and it gave me a very good opportunity to be hands-on with actually modifying a car, taking apart an engine, putting it back together again, increasing horsepower out of it—these these sort of
0: things. Okay. So. Yeah, that's uh, it's so broad. I mean, there's so many things that you've you're working on, and uh, so helping. So Julia is in the business development part of yeah. Gigafast. Yes. How does how does she help you? <laughs>
1: oh uh, yeah, Julia is a very vital part of. The gigafast operation he she she tries to help us find obviously new customers new opportunities for partnerships
0: and and so you've been here a year yes um because i don't have an engineering background so ah. i have to uh start from scratch and but uh jay is a very good leader and uh he has been p- very patient with me and so i have been learning a lot oh that's great yeah and- so I think that if customers contact you through your website, they may they may reach you, Julia. I'm not sure how that works for Fast. Yeah. But I would assume that, you know, we'll put your guys' information on the website, the Lone Star Tech website, some information so that people can find you. Mm-hmm. Thank if, you. If they're yeah. interested in these kind of products. And I think they are. I think uh, they just don't know where to go and understand the process. You know, like if you've got a customer, like, do you have a certain moq level or nre level
1: um we like to work with i i i would say we we would work with any any type of business at kind of any stage of development if if you're a startup that wants to prototype something we could help you with that okay and then but when we prototype something it's not a lot of people go to sometimes prototyping companies or things like that uh it could be in Europe or the U S what's unique about coming to Taiwan and to gigafast to prototype something is we're designing something for manufacturing. So you don't have to reinvent it again. Like a lot of startups, they make the mistake of, Oh, I found this local company. They can really quickly spin this. Mm -hmm. They build something, they design something and you realize 90% of your parts are not sourceable. They're not popular parts.
0: That's such an important consideration today. And yeah. Yeah.
1: Realizing what supply chain requirements are, will help you scale once your product is successful. And that's the experience that we really bring to the table, right? Um, You don't don't have to understand supply chain. You don't have to understand even the components that are going in. You Mm -hmm. just need to work with us on the specifications. And then we can give you advice on this is the best direction to go.
0: Yeah, there are some uh, wonderful design houses that may not have the factory experience. And so they just don't see it the way a factory would. Exactly. And always checking the price of all the components and availability. All that stuff needs to be taken into consideration if you want to get to that finish line.
1: Mm-hmm. And we also have the added benefit of the fact that we build out of Taiwan and China.
0: Oh, okay. Okay, So, so you've got factories here and there that you work with.
1: Exactly. So what, what, what we can do is we can build medium to small qual- quantities out of Taiwan. Mm-hmm. And usually that, like, cost-wise, that's actually possible. Then, as you move into larger and larger quantities, we can then move production into China, and take and and um, take advantage mm-hmm. of, of of the scale there to sure. cost down the product. Right. We also have customers that work with us that exclusively say we could only build out of Taiwan.
0: No, I'm hearing that a lot these days. You know, <laughs> people are saying they want to build here.
1: Well, especially for smart grid products. Yeah. Right, because uh-huh. there there is the security aspect of it. So uh, that is something that I strongly promote. Uh, Being a company in Taiwan, I feel that um, any opportunity we can help grow Taiwan's manufacturing business, we should do that.
0: You know, for years, people always ask me, how come I live in Taiwan? Why don't I just live in China? I've been in Taiwan for 10 years and they say, why don't you just move to China closer to the bigger factories for the kind of work you do? And I just didn't want to. I enjoy living in Taiwan. It's very comfortable, open place. It's easy to get around. I don't need to worry about safety or security. Mm -hmm. And... You know, at the time, I thought maybe they're right, but now Taiwan has experienced a huge popularity. Mm-hmm. You know, it's r- really a a resurgence of business here.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely.
0: We were kind of immune from the COVID situation for a long time, and we have some issue with it, but we've kind of got the the least of the problem. You know, it's mild now. Well, so.
1: I, I think I think t- especially during COVID, Taiwan stood out as a as a place where. I think we did a lot of things right. Mm -hmm. We did. Some things were, some people might consider a little bit harsh, Mm -hmm. but the end result speaks for itself. Sure. Right? Taiwan fought off COVID very, very Very well. Very long time. Uh, Taiwan's never actually went into an official lockdown state. Right. So... I mean, when, when you look globally, how many countries can say that? How many right. countries can say we never locked down? Taiwan never locked down. There's a strong sense of social responsibility here, and that help, that's helped play a role in in, in in this entire event, right? And then Taiwan's democracy is one of the strongest democracies in the world, right? We are the first, you know, we, we kind of beat out the U.S. for a for a woman president. Yeah, very, we're very accepting. We have you know legalized legalized marriage, right? Same sex marriage,
0: right?
1: It, it's very surprising to find a very conservative <laughs> Asian environment. Yeah, it is and conservative,
0: but also something's very open and liberal. You know, it's all you know, it's all very it's it is neat, and that's actually it's one of the reasons why I like living in Taiwan. Is it's comfortable and safe, and people are friendly. Yeah, and yeah, we've kind of been in our own bubble away from the COVID too much, and now it's come in and the Restrictions are reducing, and uh, mm-hmm. hopefully by the end of this year, we can open up even more. I don't know where that's going to go, but we'll
1: just wait and see. Well, but then it's a controlled open up, right? You do mm-hmm. feel that everything here is happening within, not government control, but just within an accepted level of control, like soci- socially.
0: It is, and it's happening by itself. Like, yeah. even though there's some rules about mask wearing that have been relaxed, I go for a run in Da'an Park every morning, and I'm not running with a mask on. And uh, park and i don't have to because it's it's perfectly allowed but i see probably 80 percent of the people are running with masks
1: mm-hmm. you
0: know that's their choice they they yeah. don't have to today but yeah. if they want to okay great and
1: i i think that's that's the point right it's made to a point where masking whether it works or not that's not the purpose the purpose is social responsibility to a certain yeah. degree right mm-hmm. if you're comfortable wear it it it's almost a reminder that this is still an issue. We should socially distance that yeah. sort of thing. But then at the same time, it's it's not being forced on anyone.
0: Yeah, right. It's changed. You're, it's changed us. You know, unfortunately, that's one thing we didn't escape. Is it has changed our view on things. You know, yes. the way we're cautious about things. That if you're in the subway and somebody sneezes, everybody turns around, looks over <laughs> their shoulder. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. It sure has. Yeah. Wow. Well, I'm so glad to be able to come over to your office, and I have to really thank um, you guys for hosting me here. Oh, thank you. Thank it's you. been. Yeah. It's been great, and I can't wait to post information about your company so that people can come find you and talk to you about your products and your offerings. Thank you. Thank
1: Thank you you. so much.
0: And uh, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. It's another episode of Taiwan Factory Podcast.